0: We have made our way in Hebrews chapter 11 as far as verse 29. That's where we'll pick it up this morning. And it's this morning we continue in our series that we've entitled The Hall of Faith. As we've been reading through the 11th chapter of Hebrew, God has given us illustrations and examples of individual who were used by God in an extraordinary way, uh, simply because they trusted and believed God for what he had promised and knowing that he is therefore able to perform that which he has promised. These individuals were ordinary people, just like you and I, who saw God work in extraordinary ways. And as a result, God now gives them to us as an example to encourage us in our walk of faith with the Lord. The Christian faith is that it is a faith, but it is also a relationship. And within that relationship, we learn the one in whom we have given our hearts and lives to. And as we grow in our knowledge of God, we should then, for, therefore also grow in our faith towards God, trusting him, knowing him. And when I talk about knowing Him, I'm talking about knowing how He is going to react at any given moment. Allowing you to come to a place of confidence in your relationship with God. This year, Dean and I will celebrate our 24th wedding anniversary. And I can tell you that I know her better today than I did when we first got married. I know her so intimately that she doesn't even have to say things with her mouth anymore. Just the indication from her eyes gives me all the information I need on how to act accordingly. This is, you know, this one. Time to go. Party's over. Or you're embarrassing me, okay? Your clothes don't match. Try to get uh, work on that next time we we go out somewhere. But I just know her so well that if someone were to say something about Dina that is uncharacteristic of her, I would have a very difficult time believing that. I would have uh, an extraordinary difficult time to learn about something uh, from someone who knew her in a much shorter period of time than I would uh, have known her in the long period of time in which that I have spent time with her and experienced her as my wife. God wants the same thing for you. God wants you to know him so intimately and thoroughly that you know what he's going to do at any given moment, that you understand by his word and through his word what God has for you, the promises he's made towards you, the promises that he will keep for you. And as a result, this allows you to move forward and to continue growing in your walk and in your relationship with him. Because, see, a lot of Christians are stuck They're like an individual who's uh, found themselves now pulled out and and, and they find themselves in a situation where they're stuck in the mud and they don't know how to get themselves out in their relationship with God. They don't know which direction to turn. And as a result, they just sit there and spin their wheels over and over and over again. And we're going to talk about why that is the reality in so many Christian lives today. It's because they're not going forward with God. They're not growing and continuing with God. They're kind of stuck in the mud. They're stuck in a period of time in their relationship with the Lord called that wilderness period of time where they were meant to just be there for a moment, for a temporary engagement to teach and prepare them for all that God had for them. But yet they have kind of retreated and come back to that wilderness period. And as a result, things aren't going so well for them in their relationship with God. They're not experiencing the power and the victory that they have in Jesus Christ that is theirs already to claim. They're not experiencing the incredible intimacy in prayer and they're, when they read the word of God, they'll often say, I'm not getting anything out of it. That's because they're stuck. They're stuck in this place and they don't know how to get out of it. They're stuck in this wilderness period rather than going into that life of the Spirit in which God has for them. And to get there, we need to proceed by faith. And that's why God says that without faith, it's impossible to please me. God wants you to continuously be moving forward in your relationship with Him. And as you do, that closeness and that intimacy keeps you secure in an insecure world. It it gives you confidence when you have no confidence in anything else around you. It gives you a stability. It gives you a direction, a hope, a peace, a joy. But many today find themselves stuck in the mud. The children of Israel come to a place where they're stuck It's a place that they have not brought themselves to. It's a place in which God has brought them to. And as a result, they find themselves in a place where they are confronted by incredible, insurmountable forces. They've got it coming at them from every single direction. And secondly... They find themselves in a position where God is going to provide an out for them, but they need to exercise the faith to take advantage of the out in which God will provide for them. And as we come now to the children of Israel, our next individual or group now of individuals uh, displayed for us here in the Hall of Faith as we move from Moses, the next place that the writer of Hebrews takes us to is the children of Israel confronted with the uh, shore of the Red Sea. And as a result, the writer of Hebrews is going to encourage the original readers of this letter, those individuals who became Christians after growing up and living as Jewish individuals for, the, of course, the beginning portions of their lives. When Christ then came and the preaching of the apostles then began to fill Jerusalem, many Jewish people became Christians. ...of their Christian faith, which once was accepted by the society as something positive uh, within their society. The religious leaders then began to sour on the fact and then began to physically persecute those Jewish people who now claim Christ to be their Messiah. And those people lost their uh, names, they lost their wealth, they lost their properties, they lost their uh, identity, they lost their heritage... And they were expelled from Israel. They then ventured into the regions around Israel called uh, the Gentile regions, specifically that of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And there they found themselves persecuted once again for not being able to bow to the, uh, the inscription of deity given and assigned to Caesar himself of Rome. And so their place and position in the communities in which they went, they drifted to from leaving Israel, they were now forced to leave those communities and found themselves in the middle of the wilderness, in a place of nomads, not without any identity, without any wealth, without any name, uh, without any history, without anything. And many of those then were now questioning the, how reasonable it was to continue in Christianity. Why don't I just go back to Judaism? It was so much easier back then. And as a result, they began to waver and they began to waffle in their faith in Christ. And the writer of Hebrews is now writing to them saying there's nothing to go back to. Christ is the fulfillment that you've all been waiting for. And here are some examples of individuals who found themselves in very difficult circumstances who by faith God delivered through those circumstances and showed himself strong. And as we've been working through all the different names, we now come to the children of Israel themselves. For the children of Israel were required to take a step of faith to proceed in the forward direction in which God was leading them and to be saved from their enemies. Verse 29 of Hebrews chapter 11 reads By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. And so this example is given to us, given to the original reader, and for those reading this for the first time, they would have seen that they are being encouraged like the children of Israel, though confronted by insurmountable odds, forces against them, are now encouraged by God through the means in which he will deliver them out of the hands of their enemy, but it will require faith for them to take that next step in the process of God delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. One writer wrote, he said, "'What lesson could the early Hebrew Christians have derived from this account? "'The obvious lesson surely was that they too must go forward.'" scorning the difficulties before them and the dangers behind them but to go forward they must truly be saved for each step along the way is required by faith unbelief may try to intimidate the example of the believer But brazen confidence in the flesh, efforts to do by natural energy, what can only be done by spiritual power, can only end in disaster. As we come to this particular point of our text, we must go back now to Exodus 14, if you'll turn there in your Bibles with me. In Exodus 14, we have the actual account of the children of Israel who are now being led by God out of Egypt... Through the wilderness to the land in which he has promised them from the beginning. But after the children of Israel left Egypt, Pharaoh's mind and conscience began to play upon him. And it became apparent to Pharaoh that he believes now, after the fact, that he had made a great mistake. He needs to rectify this. He needs to save face in front of his people. For the ten plagues have devastated Egypt, including that of the Passover, the death of the firstborn. The Egyptians have no confidence not only in Pharaoh but also in the gods of Egypt for God Jehovah has shown himself superior and strong to the people of Egypt by overthrowing each and every one of the gods in which they held to and they uh, trusted upon for their prosperity and protection. And now as the children of Israel have made their way out of the land of Egypt, Pharaoh now sitting there contemplating what has just happened decides not to let it end here but god further hardening the heart of pharaoh pharaoh then begins to seethe in himself and desire now to go after the children of israel with 600 chariot men to destroy them in the mists of the wilderness And as God has now began to lead the children of Israel supernaturally through the wilderness, during the day he provided a cloud of cover to protect them from the sun and the heat of the sun, to allow them to continue traveling, 2.5 million people traveling to the land in which God has promised to them. And as a result, at night... So the people could continue moving through the nighttime uh, darkness. He provided a pillar of fire that moved with them to illuminate and to light their way and to lead and to guide them where he would have them to go and to bring them to the place in which he promised them. But the children of Israel in the middle of the evening came to a place. Night was quickly falling upon them that they found themselves to be trapped. For the Red Sea was in front of them. There were cliffs on either sides that they could not overcome. And now their escape route behind them is now being filled by the Egyptian army that is coming after them to pursue and to kill them. The Egyptians thinking how silly of the Israelites to back themselves into a corner militarily like this and now they are here ready for us to simply slaughter them and to once again resume that place of prominence and power that the Egyptian pharaoh enjoyed for so many centuries. However, though, what pharaoh did not take into consideration was God. For the people had already started murmuring and complaining on their way through the journey. You know, it's like when you go on a road trip as a family. You're all excited. You you pack up the car. You you tie the things to the roof. If you had one of those station wagons that had luggage, uh, you know, a rack on top of it. You're all excited. You can't wait. You're going to Florida from Chicago. Now, it sounds exciting, but what the kids don't know is that, what, there's about 1,500 miles between there and here, you know, here and there, I should say. And so you're on your way, and you're singing songs, and everybody's happy in the car, but by the time you hit Kentucky, it's starting to become a different story within the travel. Dad, i got to go to the bathroom. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? She's touching me she's on my side, she's touching me, she's touching me, she's still touching me, Dad. Then you get down to Georgia, and the kids are just full-blown fist-fighting in the back. I mean, ninja moves you've never seen in the rearview mirror (laughs) once before, you know, The wife trying to be the good wife is still singing those songs, you know, three million bottles of Coke on the wall, you know, and and dad's just flooring it because he wants to get to the promised land, you know, the happiest place on earth. The children of Israel were the same as they were making their way through the wilderness. It got difficult, the journey got hard. Even though they saw God work in the miraculous way in which he did to deliver them out of the land of Egypt, also they're with them in the wilderness as they were making their way. And now all of a sudden, they're brought to the the sea of the, Red, the shore of the Red Sea. They don't seem to have any ability to cross it. And now the situation is dire because they are closed in with cliffs on either side and the Egyptians coming from behind. And the murmuring and complaining is already an indication that they're wavering in their faith towards God. And they begin to look at their circumstances rather than to consider everything that they have seen God do up until that point. They had forgotten the plagues. They had forgotten the mighty hand in which God led them out by. They forgot that God had kept their, his promise to them and heard their cry while slaves there in Egypt. They had forgotten all that because now all they can see is a sea in front of them, cliffs on either side, and the Egyptian army coming from the behind. They're doomed. They're dead. And this is it. Their circumstances have, have now negated all of the faithfulness of God in which they have already experienced. We do the exact same thing. When we find ourselves in a position of difficulty of one nature or another, we will often get our eyes off of God and off of the faithfulness and the history that we've had with God and put them on our circumstances and say, look, these circumstances are so overwhelming, I don't know how I'll ever get beyond them. God has failed me. God has let me down. Uh, God just doesn't seem to care at this moment. And yet, who was it that brought them to this point? Moses was just following the cloud by day the pillar of fire by night. It was God who led them to this place. It was God who brought them to this moment because he will never leave them. He'll never forsake them. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And they trusted him enough to allow him to bring him th- them this far. And yet now confronted by these circumstances, they feel that something must have changed. And yet God is saying, no, oh, just wait, you have no idea what I'm going to do next. One wrote, he said, and he, I believe he really captured the thought in the mind and the hearts of the people. The people were ever so frightened, he writes. They were hemmed in with no way to escape. An engaged king and a people were in hot pursuit There was no chance that the Egyptian army could have taken any live prisoners because Egypt had lost all of their firstborn sons to the angel of death. Israel was doomed and the people knew it. The odds were insurmountable unless God stepped in and delivered them. In the 14th chapter, this account is recorded for us. And as we pick it up in verse 10, I've summarized for you the events up until this point. In verse 10, the Pharaoh drew near. The people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses... It is because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. Oh, have they forgotten? Oh, have they drawn a conclusion based upon their circumstances, haven't they? They've got it all figured out, don't they? They know everything from their limited vantage point, their microcosm of the moment. We're going to die here in the wilderness. In verse 12, is it not this what we said to you in Egypt? Now leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. What? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Oh, all, I mean, they're in, it's Georgia now. It's all chaos Has broke out in the car. And Moses said to the people, I love this. Look at what Moses said. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again, and the Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Paraphrase, That shut up and watch what God's going to do. That's what he's saying here. Watch what the Lord is going to do. He hasn't brought us out here to destroy us. He has brought us out here to give us a new identity in him, that we may be a nation that follows him, that we may be his people and that he may be our God. And he will not leave us and he will not forsake us. And Moses was confident of that. Let me draw your attention to verse 13, if I may, because it is in these words that I believe that we can learn so much from when we find ourselves in a position where we are confronted by insurmountable odds and forces and circumstances. There will be times in your Christian life that as you cultivate that deep and personal relationship with God each and every day, and you allow Him to lead you and to guide you each step of the way, you will find yourself in these positions at one time or another where everything seems to be against you at that moment, but you know that the Lord has brought you here. This wasn't a doing of your own uh, disobedience, This wasn't a decision that you made outside of God's will for your life. This isn't the consequences that you are now reaping due to the uh, disobedient actions that you have sown. You've been faithful with God and God has brought you so far and now you find yourself once again in that place where circumstances seem to be just overwhelming to you and say, God, I don't know how we're going to get through this one. If you are in that place today, then this is what I shall say to you. Fear not. Stand firm. And see what the Lord's going to do today. I'm being nice because I didn't tell you to shut up and watch, God, watch what God's going to do next. That's what Moses said. Be silent. Stop fearing. Each of these three are um, commands in the Old Testament. Uh, meaning that it's instruction in which God is asking you to obey. And the first of the three instructions, it's called an imperative in the uh, grammatical lexicons, or I'm sorry, uh, language. And so this, he's saying now to the people, he's saying, number one, fear not. Now this might come to a surprise to some of you this morning that you can control your fear. You can choose to be fearful Or you can choose to have faith in God. That's the that's the difference. The the antithesis (laughs) of fear is faith. The opposite of. And so, as you look at this, Moses is saying, "We have a choice right now. We can be fearful." based upon our overwhelming circumstances, or we can be faithful and trust God to see us through these circumstances. Fear not. Throughout the New Old Testament, you will find fear not is repeated over and over and over again. Fear can be a very dangerous weapon in the hand of our enemy. Fear can cause us to do things that we don't want to do and can keep us from doing things that we do want to do. Fear works on a three-level system, mentally, physically, and spiritually. It begins mentally, and fear begins to manifest itself in the life of an individual through worry, anxiety, panic, and doubt. And once you've destabled the mind of the individual, the body then follows... And from that fear that has been uh, uh, conceived in the mind and the heart of the individual, the body can grow weak, the body can be paralyzed, the body can be, um, uh, you know, you lose night's sleep uh, and so forth because of your fear of what's going to happen next. We've all been there, right? If you've ever gone through a time where fear has just overwhelmed your mind and your heart, your physical body begins to reap the consequences of that reality. Some people, they lose a lot of weight. Some people don't sleep for weeks because fear has gripped their hearts so uh, brutally. But then comes the spiritual. Because Christians are not exempt from this fear as, as either is the world where we experience it also it has a spiritual consequence upon us also that the world doesn't experience the spiritual consequence is that it often causes us to doubt the goodness and the love of god it causes us to question if god really knows what's best for our lives It causes us to consider the fact that maybe God isn't who he said he was and maybe I'm not who I think I am in God. And at that moment, you've already given the the enemy a foothold to do incredible damage spiritually. Now, we understand that fear can also be something that protects and guides us. I'm not talking about the fear as we stand in the reality of the uh, law of gravity on the edge of a cliff, say there at the Grand Canyons or on top of the Sears Tower, which I refuse to call the Willis Tower. That fear can keep you from harming yourself. I'm talking about the fear that brings you into a place of desperation. It brings you into a place of despair and depression. This is the kind of fear that Moses is addressing for notice how the people have talked in verses 10 through 12. Why have you brought us out here to die? It would have been better if we were to serve the Egyptians. Why have you taken us out here to be scattered amongst the desert in graves unmarked? That's what they're saying here. You can tell how far the fear has eroded their confidence in God, can't you? And so Moses simply says to them, stop it, fear not. We as believers in Jesus Christ have been given the Holy Spirit to give us power to be self-disciplined when it comes to our emotions and feelings. When fear begins to grip my heart, when worry begins to grip my heart or anxiety begins to grip my heart, I can begin to pray and ask God to supersede my feelings with faith. Not faith in myself, not faith in faith alone, but in the sense that my faith in general, but faith in him and who he is. That's a choice that we can make. I know that we live in a society where we tell people, I can't help the way I feel. As a believer, we can help the way we feel. But I'm going to tell you why so many Christians are struggling with that today. you know why? Because they're stuck in the mud. They're stuck in the wilderness. They won't sell out to God. They love the world too much to go further into God. And they know they need God to go any further into the world, so they're stuck in this quagmire of the wilderness. And this place is detrimental to their health And many of them don't realize it until they see the symptoms of it. And one of the symptoms of it is a constant issue with worry and fear. Worry and fear. Worry, fear, and anxiety. Worry, fear, and anxiety. This is it. This is number one. Jesus said the exact same thing. The reason you worry is because of your lack of faith. That's a a concern, isn't it? But what did he say next? It's only... fear not. He then goes to number two. He says, stand firm. It means to be of strong courage, to turn and to face the fear in the light of all who God is and can do. When fear begins to overwhelm you like that choose first and foremost to have faith in god and then turn and look at that fear look at those circumstances in the light of the character the nature and the ability of god and tell me if it doesn't shrink in your presence what is too difficult for god nothing often i fall into these pits of fear because i sum up the circumstances against my own personal ability but once i take myself out of the equation and i put god into the equation then whatever my circumstances are they're piddly compared to who god is and what he is capable of doing so god says stand firm don't run away don't make a knee-jerk decision. How many of you have ever made a bad decision in the middle of an emotional crisis? We all have, yeah. We have all done it in one form or another. Oh, I'm so lonely and depressed, I need a motorcycle. You know. We've all done it, one time or another. But this stand firm would say, hey, stop, don't do anything right he had to calm the people down they were freaking out that's the biblical theological term for what they were doing there at the the seashore of the red sea they were freaking out and let me just make it abundantly clear some scholars want to tell us that this was the reed sea that it was only two to three feet deep Um, and then when the wind came and blew it apart it was easy for the wind to do and it really wasn't that supernatural of a miracle And even if they want to reduce the event to just that, they have a couple of problems. Number one, the wind just happened to blow when Moses raised the staff, right? Coincidence, you know. Was that lucky or what? You know, of course not. The second problem is uh, it says that after the, the Israelites went through and walked on dry land, There was walls of water on each side of them. I don't see a um, two-foot-deep reed lake producing walls of water on either side, do you? No, I don't see that. And now here's the third thing. None of the Egyptians could swim because they all died in a foot of water. I guess they didn't have their floaties. It's so silly. No, here's what happened. God brought Moses to that point. And he stood him up there and he said, Hold up your staff and watch what I'm about to do. And an east wind came just barreling through the mountain pass, dividing the water. And so the water looked like it was just held back by this wind, and walls of water on each side were created. And the children of Israel walked through on what land? What land? Not only did he part the sea, but he dried the land. Did you ever notice that? Because if he wouldn't have dried the land, what would have happened to all their carts and all their walking? It would be mud, right? Not only did the wind blow and the sea part, but he also dried the land so that they could walk through it. And then right when they come through it and the Egyptians try to overcome them, he judges the Egyptian army in one fell swoop and they all die. What an incredible, incredible act of God. And so the last of the three is after standing still. Notice what he says here. He says, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you when? Today. This is going to happen now, Moses is saying. It's not going to happen two weeks from now. It's going to happen now. Watch what God does. This reminds me always that God can change my circumstances instantaneously, can't he? It doesn't require God to, you know, have months and weeks and years. He can change things supernaturally, instantaneously. It doesn't take long for God to work. Sometimes, though, God will wait until he does do that work to prepare us to truly appreciate the work in which he then does. Preparing our hearts and minds and often bringing us to the end of ourselves. And the moment we reach that point is the moment he often steps in and says, now watch what I can do because I want all the glory for everything that I do. And he does this incredible thing. Do you think for a moment they expected him to part the Red Sea? No. This tells me that when I pray to God and I go to him, I say, Lord, I'm faced with some circumstances and I have three excellent solutions. And let me articulate them for you. I've saved you some time. I know you're busy, you know, governing the whole universe. So let me give you some instruction and how I think you can see me through this and it'll work out mutually benefit for you, for me, for everybody around us. I'm just that kind of guy, God. God, you can do it this way, A. Or if A doesn't suit you, I got B. And you know what? I don't want to limit you in your options, so here I'm going to give you a C also. This is when God laughs and just says, (laughs) I'm not going to use any one of those ways. And this is one thing I think that really discourages people in their prayers. They'll pray a prayer and they'll offer God a solution, but God won't take their solution and therefore they feel that God hasn't answered their prayer. None of them said, guess what, Moses, I'm confident God's going to part the Red Sea in front of us, right? Not one person said that. It was out of their realm of possibility. And what did he do? He parted the Red Sea. To see. And I love this word see in the Hebrew. It's an elegant word. It means that it derives its meaning from the idea of all of which requires an individual to see physically outside of himself or herself to see that one can learn to know whether it be another person or of God. Meaning, look beyond yourself. That's what God's saying, Moses is saying here, God's saying here, fear not, stand firm and see. This see is apart from you. This C, the term see here is learn what God can do outside of your help. Learn what God can do that's so vastly superior to any kind of ability that you personally have. And then it asks us in the same word, the same Hebrew word, to learn from what we have just witnessed. To encourage us to have faith the next time that God brings us to a place of overwhelming circumstances to show himself strong. The psalmist wrote it this way very eloquent again in and of itself. For David wrote in Psalm forty-six, ten: be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. God will often bring you to a place that you don't understand. He does so to teach us, to prepare us, to train us. For as the children of Israel were going through this portion of their little wilderness journey, this is before the 40 years, they're going through this particular period of time because God wanted to show to them that He is their God, that He is faithful, that He can do supernatural things, and that He can deliver them from their enemies, and He can protect them from their enemies, etc., And they were meant to learn from this. In fact, if you turn with me to Hebrews, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Exodus 14, verse 31, this was the response. Israel saw the great power of the Lord, the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord. And that's a reverential fear. That is a respect and an honor that he is due And notice what else they did. They what? Believed, right? Believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Oh, it's so glad that they finally got it, isn't it? Isn't it encouraging that Moses will never have to hear their murmuring and complaining again? that they finally have come to that epiphany of realization that God is all that he said he was. They feared and believed God and Moses, and now it's a done deal. Now they're going to go on. In fact, they even sing a song in the next chapter. They're so happy about it. Right? They finally arrived. Until you get to chapter 16, where they once again seem to have forgotten everything that God has done up until that point. Isn't it amazing? Humans are humans are humans. We're all alike, aren't we? Sometimes it just doesn't go through our thick skulls. But God will bring you to that place. And for God to bring you to that place, some of you may say, well, I've never been brought to that place. Well, to be brought to that place, you have to submit yourself to God. You have to be willing to allow Him to be your God, leading and guiding you, not weekly, not monthly, but daily, each and every hour. Allowing God to take you step by step in the life and journey that you have with Him Submitting yourself onto him. And by doing so, you will find yourself often in places like this that God simply has brought you there to show himself strong by working through the circumstances in which he has brought you in front of. How do you come to this point with God? I'm such a proponent, an advocate, if you will, of personal devotionals between the individual believer and God. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand or answer. How are you doing in your devotional life with God? I find that many are struggling in their devotional life with God. The busyness of life has overwhelmed them. Uh, the you know, kids have overwhelmed them and, and so forth. And they've kind of become lax and say, well, this is simply a season of our life. And once we get through this season, then I'll be able to get back to some kind of normalcy. Okay, Uh, uh, that never happens. Okay? The season you find yourself in is probably the season that you need God the most. Take time to get up early in the morning if necessary before everybody else to have quiet time between you and God. Pray and ask God to meet you there and then begin to read his word from Genesis to Revelation. Begin to read his word and see his faithfulness and his promises to you and the promises uh, that he is able to perform and he faithfully performs to his people each and every day. And in cultivating this type of relationship with the world, and I really believe that's the word we need to really adopt for ourselves, and that is I'm going to intentionally cultivate a relationship with God. I'm going to be purposeful about it. I'm going to be, again, intentional about it. Or I'm going to spend time in prayer personally between me and God and then I'm going to spend some time in his word personally between me and God knowing this that God has a plan and purpose for you individually that he wants and desires to reveal to you and the only way he can is if you're listening to his still small voice often in the uh, obstruction of the thousands of voices yelling at you each and every day And some may never find themselves in this place, and it's because they've never surrendered to God to allow Him to bring them into this place. Right? If the children of Israel never left Egypt, they never would have gotten to the Red Sea, right? If the children of Israel wouldn't have been uh, submissive to the cloud by day and the fire by night, they never would have been led to this position that they found themselves in. They had to allow God to bring them to that position. And a lot of people seem to be fighting against that in their relationship with God. Where I say that this is what God saved you for. These are the purposes in which God saved you for. There's nothing in this world that will compare to what God has for you. Nothing. But when you do find yourself in that place, rely on Him. Now, you may find yourself in a place similar to this due to the fact that you've brought these consequences on yourself because you disobeyed God. And now you find yourself in a tough pickle, if I may use that kind of word, excuse my language. Difficult six circumstances, a difficult place, consequences that you have now brought upon yourself. What do you do in that? Can I expect God to see me through those times too? The answer is Yes but it begins not with fear not and be still or stand firm. And it begins with repentance at that point saying, Lord, forgive me. I see that it was my own disobedience to you that has brought me to this place. Lord, forgive me. And once you repent and get right with God, you know what he begins to do? He begins to work through those consequences with you. He won't necessarily take all those consequences away from you because he wants you to learn from your mistake. You know, one of the worst things we ever did as parents is clean up all of our kids' problems. Sometimes we have to allow our children to work through their own mistakes. <laughs> the young people over here are like this. The older of are like that. Hey, right? We all had to do it at times, right? I mean, I did it. You know, the great baseball card theft that I've confessed to you over and over again. My dad made me go back to that drugstore owner and give that baseball cards back to him. And I mean, the guy was huge. I mean, he was like nine feet tall. He was like Goliath. I'm just standing there in the drugstore in repentance. But I never stole a baseball card again. Sometimes we have to let people work through their mistakes. We can be there for them. We can help them if they have questions or need advice, but we have to let them work through their mistakes so they don't make the mistake again, right? God will let you work through the mistake, but he will be with you. He won't abandon you. He'll see you through it. And if you've come to that place, I ask you to repent and let God then come in and see you through those consequences and get you back on track once again, which is God's ultimate plan for you to get you back on track. And when everything seems to be against you at that moment, let me remind you again, if God has brought you to that point, then I would encourage you to fear not. Because in the wake of fear, we make all kinds of mistakes. Do you know that I have noticed that when individuals in the Old Testament began to fear God, here were some of the symptoms of that fear. I'm sorry, not to fear God, but when people began to fear apart from God, looking at their circumstances greater than God himself, they began to uh, manifest certain symptoms of that fear. And I wanted to talk to you about them this morning, just quickly as we close. The children of Israel began to be incredibly worried about money. How they were going to provide for themselves. How they were going to, you know, keep their standard of living... Because their circumstances were overwhelming to them, they no longer would trust God for his provision that they feel that they needed to provide for themselves, not to keep themselves uh, entailed with just simply their needs, but they wanted to maintain a lifestyle that was above and beyond anything that they did need and more what they wanted, and they became increasingly worried about money. I cannot tell you the Christian men that I talk to who are consumed with worry about money see i don't have any so i don't worry about it but i do know that god will provide all of my needs and if for 30 years now he has provided perfectly and that same provision that he has promised me he promises you i'm not any different or better than you those same promises apply to you See, but they've gotten themselves off of their eyes off of God and they put their eyes, uh, "This this is what I do as a man. I have to provide for my financial needs for my family, not only what they need, but what they want. And God says, no, trust me. Put me first in everything. And by doing so, I will provide the needs that you have presented to you. Fights amongst themselves broke out. They were overly uh, concerned about their appearance, I found in the Old Testament. They were worried about how they looked to everyone else. I mean, I must be walking with God because I don't care what people think of me. If I match my clothes, it's a good day. But that being said, God's saying, no, keep your eyes on me. But they're more concerned about everybody else around them. Well, how's this going to look to my friends? How's this going to look to my neighbors? How's this going to look to my coworkers? How's this going to look? How's this going to look? They're so preoccupied by that. That's not free. That's bondage. God doesn't want you under that kind of a bondage to worry about what everybody else thinks about you. But if you walk with the Lord and if you submit your life to him each and every day, I guarantee you people are going to hate you. That's what you have to look forward to. They isolate themselves from people. They often don't want to be around other Christians, uh, other individuals who are walking with the Lord, because it's a reminder to them that they are not. They make rash decisions and hurried decisions without thinking and praying it through. Somebody will come to me, I've had this happen so many times, and they say, I've got to make this huge decision. I said, Well, let's pray about it. And they roll their eyes. Don't roll your eyes. God's got all the wisdom in the world. Let's pray pray and ask Him for what He would have us to do. They want to spew out false accusations against others to help them look better. They have trouble maintaining friendships. They strike out at other people. They become physically sick. And therefore, I will say mentally sick in some cases too. They ignore God. They withdraw into a shell. Some of them even then begin to s- sin more outwardly and they steal, lie, cheat, and abuse, fight, and kill, and so forth. It goes way wrong after a while. Guys, look. This is what fear can do when we allow it to have its control. Let's choose not to fear and have faith in God. That we may think objectively, clearly, soberly. So we don't make rash decisions to make things even worse, right? Because this is not what God would have for us. And lastly, as we close, see what the Lord can do, can do and notice and learn from what the Lord has done already. Don't all just learn today, remember everything that the Lord has done up until this point his faithfulness, his goodness. And when you find yourself confronted with those circumstances, remember that history that you have with the Lord to govern you and guide you through it. And then once he provides a way through it, walk through it. Do you know that there's a time to pray and then there's a time to move? Notice what he says to Moses in Exodus 14, and we'll close with this. And the Lord said to Moses in verse 15 of chapter 14, why do you cry to me? Why do you continue to uh, talk with me? Why do you continue to lift up the need before me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. It's time to move. It's time to take action upon the uh, deliverance in which God has provided for you. It's time now to exercise that faith, not only to uh, fear not, to stand firm and to see what the Lord will do in that moment, but also to take the next step. That faith is needed by each and every one of the Israelites to walk off of the shore onto the dry ground of the bottom of the lake. If you're in the wilderness today and you feel like you're spinning your wheels as a Christian, you feel like things are just going in. You're not making any progress in forward. You may be stuck in the mud in that wilderness position, and the reason for it is simply a lack of faith. God would say, move forward. Well, how do I get out of this position? How do I get out of this place that I'm stuck within? Number one, Repent. Get alone with God and say, Lord, I want you to search my heart. I want you to search my mind. I want you to tell me if there's anything in there that is keeping me from following you wholeheartedly. Is it my apathy? Is it my complacency? Is it bitterness? Is it unforgiveness? Whatever it may be, Lord, that is hindering me from moving forward and trusting you to carry me forward, then, Lord, I want to bring it out right now before you today. I want to get right with you. I want to fall in love with you all over again. I want it to be like when I first got saved all over. That renewed heart, that renewed mind. I just want to feel your presence in my life. I don't want to be spinning my wheels any longer. And I trust you that if you'll bring your heart before God in that sincerity, man, he will meet you there. He will meet you there. And then begin to cultivate that relationship. Spending time with him in prayer. Some of you may call it instant messaging. I'm good with that. Instant message God each and every day. Talk to him every single day and wait for his response. Open his word and learn about the God in whom you serve, in whom you believe, in whom you trust, and grow in that knowledge and see if that doesn't spur on your faith to trust him when things seem so overwhelmingly against you, to see God work strong, to see God see you through it. And lastly, surrendering your life to him. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And let him play out the story of your life through you. For Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. Let God start playing out the story that he has for you. And hold on to your socks. I know we're all wearing sandals today, but hold on to your socks. Because God's going to do extraordinary things. I guarantee it for those who will trust him. And I want to read this to you as we close. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, the enemy that stands against you, he says, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you only have to be silent.